like everyone else in the room. You're Scots, she said. Don't sound so surprised. We get everywhere. You should know that. I didn't catch your name. Wilbur Conway. He said it in an American drawl and laughed at the expression on Betty's face. But you can call me Bobby. Bobby Conway. You can call me... He paused as if thinking... MacLeod. Bobby MacLeod? What is your name? Wilbur Conway, but I thought you didn't like it. It doesn't go with the accent. So call me Bobby. She was slightly drunk, which wasn't one of her vices, but she had plenty of excuses. The taxi had taken her to the wrong terminal at Baltimore, Washington, and by the time she got to Concourse A-B and found the gate for Southwest Airlines, she had been late, which meant inevitably that she'd been picked for a more onerous check before being allowed to board. As a result, she was separated from the others going to the wedding, which made no difference to them, since none of them knew her. But for her, meant spending a long flight wedged between a fat man with a sweet body odour and a woman going to Texas to bury her son, who'd been shot by a small-town sheriff. Bewildered as any European by the culture of the gun, the woman, a native New Yorker, kept explaining how her son was a student of physics who'd gone to Texas to visit a friend. They went for a drink and had way too much. I'm told they were both high. But weren't they entitled? They'd worked so hard, got their qualifications, they had the whole world at their feet. Outside the bar, this sheriff, he was only five foot high, started to shout at them, and Danny jumped on his back. He was laughing when the little guy pulled his gun and shot him dead. It had been a long flight. And at San Antonio, the groom's brothers who had volunteered to pick them up were late. That first night she slept badly in a hotel, wakening unrefreshed and lying for what seemed like hours, listening to hot water pipes butting floor beams in the dark. At the wedding rehearsal in the Baptist church, which was the biggest in town, she spent time contemplating the banners interweaving the names of bride and groom hung behind the altar. At night, they had dinner in a barn, one end still occupied by agricultural machinery, the other with living quarters two stories high built against the end wall. Despite this, there was ample space left in the middle for tables to accommodate all the guests. Family and friends had done the catering, barbecued steak on paper plates, the staple of the feast, though a fountain of chocolate also caught the eye. Afterwards, Betty was told the older women would tidy up. Looking for something better to do, having in mind hen nights she'd gone to the night before weddings back home, she questioned the willowy blonde sitting next to her, who said, "'You'd be welcome to come along if we go on a drag.' "'What's that?' "'We get in our cars and drive around and...' Interrupting, the woman on her other side, another friend of Laurie's dating back to first grade, laughed and explained." We drive around, and every time we see a flag, we haul down the windows and yell, Yee-haw! Since they were women in their thirties, Betty's first thought was that they might be joking. Sensing her hesitancy, the first woman said pleasantly, Or we could toilet roll somebody's house. That would be fun. When she learned that the groom and his friends were going to the mill, You have to bring your own bottle, but it's a good old place. I've seen the Catholic priests there. I tell you, those boys like their liquor. 
The choice between it and the drag was no contest. The place turned out to be noisy and crowded, and the group she was with were friendly, and made sure she had plenty to drink, and, although if she wanted to see a priest falling into sin there wasn't one in sight, as consolation at some point, she found herself talking to a tall man with a familiar accent and the bluest eyes she'd ever seen. Chapter 3 As he ate his meal with his fingers, straight from the paper wrapping, Meldrum pondered on how long it was since he had actually relished a fish supper, rather than stoically feeding scraps of fish and lengths of cooling chipped potato into his mouth. An old Italian had told him that fish suppers had never tasted the same since concerns for health had led to the replacement of lard for frying with vegetable oil. Since Italians in Scotland had always made the best fish suppers, he was prepared to believe it.